Second Chronicles chapter 18, if you'll turn with me there, looking at the reign of the life of King Jehoshaphat, one of the good and godly kings in the southern kingdom of Judah. And unfortunately, like all good and godly men, Jehoshaphat had his fair share of weaknesses and flaws in his character. And again, important that we recognize other than Jesus, uh, there has never been and there never will be a perfect human being. Even though we may love the Lord and walk in close fellowship with the Lord, there are going to be times where uh, our flesh uh, manifests itself, our sinful nature, times when we wrestle with our own different unique weaknesses in our humanity and even as we look at these good and godly kings uh, held forth to us in the word of God it is interesting to see that the Holy Spirit doesn't kind of uh, glamorize and make them into some spiritual superhero he doesn't try and cover up and clean up every little mistake or error in their life he allows us to see that they were men who loved God but yet they still had their share of weaknesses and times when they would stumble and make mistakes and it was by the grace of God they were being kept and and they were simply just human beings I love how James tells us even regarding Elijah it tells us that Elijah was a man with a nature just like hours and yet God used Elisha mightily and he says that in the context of that in James chapter 5 that Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours and yet he prayed fervently that for God to withhold the reins in in kind of consistency with what he sensed God was telling him in his spirit and God honored his prayer and then three years later remember he prayed and God restored the reign and God was doing mighty things through his life And yet he was a man who had imperfections. He was walking with God and loved the Lord, but yet he had his share of imperfections. And tonight as we come to chapter 18, we see some of the weakness that existed in Jehoshaphat's life. We've seen some of his triumphs, his great trust in God. And here again, we see uh, some areas of weakness in his life. It tells us in chapter 18, verse 1, that Jehoshaphat uh, had riches and honor in abundance. And we saw last time together that this was of the Lord's doing, that God was blessing him. God was prospering him at this time in his life. Uh, It's not as if he was acquiring these riches and abundance out of doing things wrong. God was giving him victory in battles and he was acquiring spoils of war and God was just blessing him, bringing him through a season of prosperity and success in his life and nothing wrong with that if God brings it from time to time and it's in this time of great success and abundance. It also tells us, chapter 18, verse 1, that by marriage during this time, uh, he allied himself with Ahab. Now, we've talked about before, this was a very common thing in the ancient culture where they would make marital alliances that a lot of times were really kind of more political alliances more than anything else. Uh, We know from other passages in Scripture, from the books of Kings and those records we have, that it seems what happened was that Jehoshaphat gave his son into a marriage relationship with the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, Now, remember, uh, Ahab and Jezebel kind of have this 
famous recognition in the word of God for being probably the most wicked couple, if not at least in the top three, uh, throughout the history of Israel. I mean, they introduced all types of idolatry and wickedness, and the Bible upholds them in a way whereby they are seen as just sort of the manifestation of not just evil leadership and wicked leadership, but even just wicked and ungodly people in general. And so you can imagine what the fruit of their offspring was like growing up in an environment like that. Their kids and their daughter, particularly Athaliah, who it seems married the son of Jehoshaphat, was not that much uh, better than them and very wicked. And so you kind of have this alliance now politically made through marriage that causes Jehoshaphat, a good and a godly man, to give one of his kids uh, to a family that doesn't follow the Lord, that are not believers in, in Yahweh God. And so you have kind of this unequally yoked marriage. But again, this was typical because a lot of times kings, whether from other nations, here you have the divided kingdom of the north and the south, a lot of times they would enter into these marital alliances to sort of uh, create cooperation among the kingdoms, to create a, a matter of support of one another and safety. Again, if your uh, daughter is married to somebody in that kingdom over there, well, you're probably not going to launch an invasion if that's where your daughter and your grandchildren are, right? You're probably not going to want to attack that territory if that's where your grandkids are at and your daughter is or vice versa. If there's a battle or an invasion, uh, again, if your son or your grandkids or your daughter and your grandkids are over in that kingdom and they're invaded, you're probably going to have a little bit more incentive right to say hey we'll be right over there to help you out to support you and so whether it's those kind of things or just working in alliances to do things economically or trading amongst one another these were often purposely arranged marriages but unfortunately that that's not a good reason to enter into marriage uh, and here Jehoshaphat makes this mistake where he compromises and you're going to notice as we go through this and it's why I'm bringing this to attention first that it seems that a real weakness in Jehoshaphat's life, though he was a good man and he loved the Lord, it seems that he just had a, a weakness when it came to saying no. He seemed to just be very compassionate, very loving, but the problem was is that he had a real hard time actually bringing himself to the place to realize that sometimes love actually says no. I love you, but no. <laughs> I'm not making that compromise. I won't make that concession because it is not in the best interest of what will be pleasing to God or would be good. And, and Jehoshaphat seems to have this weakness in his humanity where he tends to just too quickly say yes and not be able to say no to people when there's a little bit of pressure upon him. And as a result of that, he enters into a lot of compromising situations that create problems. And this was probably one of those things. I can just imagine the dynamic. Again, it's his son. It's Ahab's daughter. But dad, I mean, dad, you want me to be single my whole life? I mean, dad, she's a king's kid. I mean, she's kind of like us. I mean, yes, she's an idol worshiper, but she's a king's kid. So she kind of understands our way of life. And dad, she's gorgeous. And I'm in love with her dad. And, and just, you know, the whole dynamic there. And then ultimately just kind of caving into that and setting aside the moral principles or the spiritual upbringing and, and kind of just being a little bit weak-willed and, and allowing his son to just progress. And it says here that, that it's actually Jehoshaphat 
who allied himself with Ahab. So to some degree, it was the fathers making the arrangement and kind of putting their stamp of approval upon it, which ultimately led to this marriage relationship where now their two families are allied together, not only politically, but from a familial standpoint now, uh, he now becomes in-laws and connected with Ahab and Jezebel. And that's what leads us into verse 2 and some of these things that happen in this chapter. It says, and after some years... Jehoshaphat went down to visit Ahab in Samaria and Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him and the people who were with him and he persuaded him to go with him up to Ramoth Gilead. So Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead? And he answered, I am as you are. The idea is, hey, we're family, we're one. He says, I am as you are, and and my people are as your people. And and yes, of course, we'll be with you in that war. Uh, We'll stand beside you, we'll engage in that battle with you. So Ahab comes to this place where it seems he wants to reclaim the area of Ramoth-Gilead that had been taken uh, away from the northern kingdom by an enemy invader. And he wants to go up and engage in this battle and reclaim that particular territory. Uh, But he realizes that, you know, it might help to have some support in the process to have the southern kingdom with us. And I think in some ways, honestly, what Ahab is also wanting is he's, he's kind of wanting a little bit of the stamp of God's approval upon his endeavor. Uh, and so that's probably why, in my estimation, he's probably engaging Jehoshaphat, who he knows is a good and a godly king who follows Yahweh God and is a representation of the presence of the Lord and the hand of God and God's favor being upon him. So because of that, here we have Ahab, he kind of, sets up this opportunity where he invites Jehoshaphat to come down and, and he honors him with this big dinner like a dignitary. Verse 2 says that when they, when Jehoshaphat came as the king, he killed sheep and oxen in abundance and he has this great feast and he's kind of just whining and dining him, if you would. This wasn't just kind of a little visit at Thanksgiving. I mean, this was just a, you know, a way to just kind of curry favor with him and make him feel real impressed. And of course, whenever you do that, you're being treated with special favor it it kind of lets you start to take your guard down a little bit and you start making compromises and concessions I think this guy's not a bad guy I mean yeah I mean I mean he's he'd really treat me well here and then little by little he begins to pose to him this conversation about going up against Ramoth Gilead and asking if he'll engage him in the battle and it's interesting it says verse 2 there that he persuaded him Other translations render that Hebrew word, he enticed him or he induced him. In other words, he was using flattery and nice treatment and kind of buttering him up and doing what he can to grease the gears to basically persuade him to get him to do what he wanted to do. And people will do that on occasion. You read the book of Proverbs, it warns a lot about being careful of things like flattery and those kind of things that kind of can tend to be ways where people get us to kind of just put our guard down a little bit so that then they can maybe persuade us to do what they want us to do or convince us to perhaps, you know, buy into the thing that they want us to be a part of or or, or get in some ways kind of maybe control over us. And, And look, that's kind of what Ahab is subtly doing here with Jehoshaphat. He's getting him to lower his guard. And again, what Ahab wants is nothing other, in my estimation, than just kind of God's help in his little endeavor. 
he really cares very little about Jehoshaphat. You're going to see that as the chapter goes on. What he wants is just for somehow God to bless his endeavor. Ahab, to me, kind of is like, if you would, again, keep in mind this, he's this wicked, ungodly man in the Bible as a king. He's kind of the poster child, to me, of a person who basically you know, wants to live as sinful as possible. They want to live outside of God's will. They don't want to obey the Lord or honor the Lord, yet they want God to bless their endeavors and their plans when such is needed in their life. Some people live that way. They don't want to follow God. They don't want to obey the word of God. They don't want to live for the Lord or serve the Lord. They want to live sinful and live however they want to live. But by golly, when they need God's blessing, they want God's blessing on something. They want God's stamp of approval or God's help with something. And, and Ahab kind of is one of those people that kind of uses God like a helpful resource. You know, when you need God, then you utilize him as a resource. Or if you've got a really big idea, uh, God's like, you know, like going into the shark tank and trying to get an investor, right? Like you got to get God to invest in your thing here because you're going to do something. And so you got to accrue God's favor to get them to maybe just invest in and bless your thing. And what you, and that's kind of what Ahab is. And so he's trying to utilize Jehoshaphat as a representation of God's favor and God's presence. So he invites him down and he's kind of just working him over here. And ultimately he persuades him. And Jehoshaphat, as I said, was unfortunately someone who just tended to be very prone to not being able to use discernment and just say no sometimes. And that's an important lesson to learn for all of our lives. We can make a lot of compromising decisions and sometimes get ourselves engaged in things because we simply don't use discernment and we think being loving and being kind is just saying yes to anybody and to everything and to all things because we don't want to make somebody sad by telling them no once in a while or denying them their request or not giving in to them what they want or letting them push or manipulate or persuade us to do something. So he says, will you go with me to Ramoth Gilead? And he says, hey, I am as you are, my people as your people. No, you're not. What are you saying? I mean, that's just completely ridiculous. Ahab was an ungodly man. You're a godly man. What do you mean I am as you are? You're not how he is. But again, this is lack of discernment and just too quickly jumping into a situation with an ungodly partnership here that will cause problems. So Jehoshaphat, verse 4, then said to him after he says, yes, I'll do it. It's kind of interesting, a little bit backwards. He says, yeah, sign me up. I'm going to battle with you. But why don't we also pray about that? That's kind of a little bit backwards, isn't it? It should have been, I'll tell you what, I understand what you're asking me. And I don't know if I'm 100% comfortable with that. So let me pray about that first. Let's talk to God about that first. Let me get a word from the Lord. And then I'll get back to you on that, whether or not I got God's approval to engage in that situation or to enter into this partnership or do the thing that you're wanting to do. But he kind of does it in the reverse order. He says yes, and he commits himself. But then he says, verse four, uh, please inquire of the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh. The idea is, hey, let's find out what God has to say about this. That's what he's saying. Let's find out what God says about this. Why don't we seek the Lord? So verse five, then the king of Israel, Ahab, gathered, notice, the prophets. And obviously we're going to see these are false prophets but the prophets on the payroll, his kind of prophets, a bunch of yes men. The king of Israel gathered the prophets together, 400 of them. And he said, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall we refrain? 
So he calls together his cabinet of 400 prophets. And let me just say, if you need to have 400 prophets on your payroll, you are really, really searching for somebody to tell you what you want to tell you. I mean, when you need 400 prophets, hey, give me the word of the Lord. Nah, get out of here. What's the next guy? Nah, I don't like that one either. Just, I mean, just where are we at? 318? Okay, we got 70. How many more? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 400 prophets? 400 prophets. He calls them all in. He spills out his plan. Shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? So they said, it seems the general consensus among them maybe started with one and you know how kind of the momentum of a crowd they said go up for god will deliver it into the king's hand in other words king hey whatever you want to do god's with you and, and you just go do it so they give him a supportive word they tell him hey if that's on your mind uh, we think you should do it go for it the idea is you'll have success you don't have to refrain but jehoshaphat no doubt again probably sensing if he's in right relationship with God as a man of God, right? When you start to go down a track that you realize you probably shouldn't have, we call it as Christians, a lot of times we say, I have a check in my spirit, right? We know what that means, kind of like that reservation inside of you. It's like you say yes to something or you start doing something and you start you know, heading down the, the lane and, and just something in you feels very reserved about it. And you're feeling like, I don't know why I said yes to that. Or I don't know why I got involved in this. And, and something about you, and, and the reason is, is because the, the Lord took a detour this way and kept going along the lines of his will. And, and we kind of went off an exit ramp and all of a sudden we're realizing something's missing. It's called the peace of the Lord. I, I got out here on a lane that I'm not supposed to be in and I need to, I need to recalculating, recalculating. You know, I, I went, somewhere I went wrong here, Lord. And I think that's what Jehoshaphat's experiencing because notice after these prophets come in, Jehoshaphat speaks up again and says, is there not still a prophet? Notice he doesn't say prophets generally, but he specifies a prophet of the Lord. In other words, remember he said at the beginning of verse four, he said, hey, what's the word of Yahweh? What's the word of the one true God, Yahweh God who I follow? I don't want just spiritual prophets, messengers who just say spiritual things prophets who are on your payroll who are going to say whatever you want to say because they want a prophet's pension and they want you know to, to profit off of you by being a part of your 400 prophets who just say the things you like them to say he says no isn't there he said still in other words he discerns a prophet of the lord here that we can inquire of him i want to make sure we're hearing from god he's saying from from the one true god so the king verse 7 kind of humorous how he answers Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, well, there is still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good concerning me, <laughs> but always evil. He is Micaiah, the son of Imla. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. So, I mean, typical to Ahab's personality, he says, all right, you got me. I mean, I can't lie. There is still one. He's nothing like the other 400, and that's why he's not on my payroll. He's in the prison, as we're going to see. They go get him out of prison to come bring a, a word from the Lord. He says, there is this one guy, but I, I mean, I hate this guy, because every time I ask him for counsel, he never says positive things to me. He never endorses my sinful, rebellious lifestyle. He never says good things to me. He always, 
I mean, he always says things that challenge my wrongdoing. He always says things that aren't supportive of me. And again, uh, the reason is because there wasn't much to support in what Ahab was doing. He was doing a lot of wrong things. He was doing a lot of sinful things. But Ahab, he didn't want to hear God's counsel. And sometimes that's where people are at. They, 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 they hate to hear God's counsel. They don't want to hear God's wisdom. And this is just where Ahab was at in his life. He says, I, I hate that guy because he never has anything good to tell me. He never says, go for it. You're doing good. He always ends up saying, hey, king, you need to stop that evil. And that's a wrong thing to do. And he says, I, I hate this guy. And he says, look, hey, don't say that. Let's, let's give the guy a chance to, to speak what God would have him to say to us. So verse 8, then the king of Israel called one of his officers and he said, okay, bring Micaiah, the son of Imla, quickly. Get him out here quickly so we can get beyond this. Because probably it had been a pattern, I'm going to assume, and this is just presumption. I'm going to assume the pattern was this. Bring out Micaiah, we're going to let him say what he says, and then we're just going to ignore his counsel and go on and do what we want anyway. Because that's what people in Ahab's condition do. They'll ear entertain somebody's counsel, but it's just kind of like in one ear, out the other, and I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. So he says, go get him, but make it quick. I don't want to be burdened down with this. Just get the guy. We'll entertain what he wants to say, but that's why I got 400 voices because then they can drown out that one voice of truth, and I can go with my good 400 voices. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, clothed there in their robes, sat each on his throne, and they sat at threshing floor at the entrance of the prophets, at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, excuse me, and notice all the prophets prophesied before them. So I mean, you have all these voices of these few hundred prophets prophesying before Mecca Ai arrives at this point. Verse 10, Lotus starts to get a little entertaining. It says, verse 10, now Zedekiah, one of these prophets, the son of Chenana, he also made horns of iron for himself. He was going to outdo the other 399 prophets. And he said, thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And then all the prophets prophesied saying, go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. So uh, nothing worse than a false prophet than false prophets with props now all of a sudden. And so this guy, it says, wanting to really have impact, he comes into the moment and it says he made himself horns of iron like he was a, you know, like an ox or some type of a, a animal that would be able to attack its prey. And he puts on these horns of iron on his head and he's, you know, doing this really persuasive theatrical act saying, with these horns, you're going to gore your enemies to death. And, and he's into all these theatrics, he's saying this. And apparently he really kind of tends to to whip up the enthusiasm in the room because it says all of a sudden all the rest of the prophets verse 11 it says started prophesying and chanting go up the Ramoth Gilead for the Lord will deliver it into your hands so this one prophet Zedekiah uh, he's pretty persuasive in his presentation and I'll tell you somebody something somebody doesn't have to necessarily be speaking the truth to be persuasive this guy's a false prophet, and we'll see that as the chapter goes on, but he's incredibly persuasive. In fact, he persuades hundreds of people that he's doing his little presentation in front of. The idea is he's very charismatic. 
and some personalities that are very charismatic and are very talented and persuasive in their presentation, whether they put their little horns on their head and go through their theatrics, they have a way of coming across in a way where people become very persuaded. Wow, that presentation is so persuasive. It's got to be right. I mean, there's so much passion behind that. I mean, there's so much, I mean, just the way he moves and uses those horns and his move, wow, and, and it just kind of pierces people because it's just such a theatrical presentation. And the reality is, right, that may be exactly what it is. It's a theatrical presentation with a lot of charisma, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's accurate theologically or that it's from God or that it's completely sound. And here, this man is able to convince many, many people in the midst of this, and he's very persuasive, and everyone's caught up in the passion and all the energy of these horns and the goring action and all this stuff. And then verse 12 says, Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him. So imagine this is going on. You have this whole thing going on in the king's chambers, and you got the guy with the horns, and he's acting it out and saying, you're going to gore your energy. People, yeah, you just... And there's all this energy and passion and seeming like they're getting psyched up. I mean, this is like a high school pep rally on steroids here. Uh, you know, beat them, bust them, that's our custom. We're going to go and conquer the other team, right? That's kind of the idea. And, and then here's what happens as he's going to the prison cell. The messenger... Gets Micaiah and he says to him, now listen, probably because this has happened before. He says, now listen, verse 12, the words of the prophets are with one accord to encourage the king. Therefore, please let your word be like one of them and speak some encouragement for once, he says. He basically says to him, look, please, would you just go with the flow for once? Everybody in the king's chambers are excited. I mean, this is, you know, just everybody's enthusiastic about this. Everyone's agreeing. You know, just would you please be positive of the plan for once? Be supportive. Don't be a wet blanket. Don't go in there and drop this. Well, this is what the Lord's saying to me. Please, he's saying, just don't. Don't challenge the flow of things and, and kind of be a, you know, a, a killjoy or somebody who's going to go in there and you know, kind of stop the whole thing. Please, just would you say what everybody else is saying for once? The king's happy. Keep him happy. Everybody else is happy. Let's just be positive and, and say what everyone else is saying and, and not stop what's taking place when the momentum is flowing in the way it is. He wants him to just go along with the trend, right? Go along with the trend. Hey, everybody else is going that way. Everybody else, what do you need to, what do you got to buck against the system for? Everybody else is going that way. Everybody's happy with it. Everybody's positive. Don't come. And look what Micah AI says, a great character trait of this man who certainly was not only a man of God, but a faithful servant of the Lord. Verse 13, Micah AI's response to that request, he says, as the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that I will speak. That's somebody who has integrity in service. Micaiah says, you know what? Look, I'm going to stand before that human king, Ahab. But he says, ultimately, the king I stand before and the king I serve is the Lord. Because he says, the Lord lives. And the Lord's in that little chamber where everybody else is chanting and going along with their erroneous ways and all worked up and excited about it. But he says, look, ultimately, I serve a higher king. I serve a higher authority. And he says, the only thing that I can promise you that I'm going to say and speak is whatever my God says to me, 
What God says to me, if he gives me a word, a genuine word from the Spirit of the Lord, then he says, that's what I'm going to speak. I'm going to speak God's truth. And you know, that's a tough thing to do. That's a tough thing to do in a culture where sometimes all the other voices are saying one thing and everybody is moving in a particular direction and to be able to say, you know what, what I say may not agree with the trend of the crowd or popular opinion or what everybody else thinks is the right thing to do. I'm going to speak what's in accordance with God's word and what God has given to me to speak. Remember Jesus himself, it reminds me of him. Jesus says, whatever the Father says to me, that's what I speak. Even Jesus said that. And so this prophet of God here, a genuine prophet, he says, whatever the Lord says, that's what I'll speak. And then he came to the king and, and the king said to him, verse 14, they've probably done this before, this little dance, Micachai, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? He asked him the same question. And he said to him, go and prosper. And they shall be delivered into your hand. Notice with the little exclamation point. So the king said to him, verse 15, you get the sense, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So apparently you can tell by the very irritated response of King Ahab when he says to him, how many times do we got to go through this? And that you can tell, obviously, there must have been some kind of sarcasm in the attitude or the voice inflection, some mocking sarcasm in Mecca AI's voice when he said, uh, go up and prosper. The Lord will go for it. The Lord, I guess the Lord will deliver them into your hands. Because as soon as he said it, and again, he's saying what everyone else is saying, right away Ahab recognizes you're being a smart aleck right now. <laughs> you, you, you just, you, you're antagonizing me once again. So he says, how many times do I have to tell you to swear that you'll tell me nothing but the truth? And again, I have to wonder what that must have been like for Micaiah. There had to have been some kind of sarcasm. Was it, again, maybe I have a little bit of a bizarre brain as I think about things a little bit too much when I'm studying but I have to wonder I mean was he just kind of going yeah go ahead go ahead and fight that battle you know just you'll win you'll do fine I mean just some kind of sarcastic antic where he's saying sure go for it because the idea is yep go ahead give it a try you, you think God will deliver you God will deliver you and he's just being totally sarcastic to indicate that he completely disagrees with what they're doing but he knows that Ahab doesn't want to hear God's will anyway so in this tone of sarcasm, he conveys this, which precipitates bringing out the real will of God. Verse 16, then he said, okay, if you want to know the truth in the name of the Lord, verse 16, he says, here's the truth. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. Again, the shepherd would be the leader of the sheep. So he says, I saw all of Israel, all the sheep, the troops, he says, and they were scattered all over and he says, because they had no leader, the idea is their leader and their master had been taken away. And he says, and the Lord said, these have no master, let each return to his house in peace. So he said, here's what I saw. All the armies scattered all over the mountains because their leader had been put to death and removed from them. In other words, he's saying, you do that, you're not only going to suffer a great loss, you're going you're to suffer the loss of your life if you engage in that particular battle. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Didn't I tell you this is what this guy always does? 
He always makes me out to be the bad guy. He always challenges my sin and my... I told you, he never has anything positive. Here he is again, giving me negative feedback and telling me that if I do this, it's not God's will and that I'm on top of it, going to lose my life in the process. So, verse 18, Micaiah then said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw... So notice, this was a vision. I saw, he says, the Lord sitting on his throne. And all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and his left hand. He had a vision of the heavenly realm where the spirit of God was there. But more than that, all the angelic spirits, that is the angels, the angelic realm, were all around the throne of God on the right hand and the left in the eternal dimension. And the Lord said to these angelic beings that were all around him in the heavenly realm, who will persuade Ahab, king of Israel, to go up that he may fall at Ramoth-Gilead? In other words, God's determined judgment upon Ahab. This is the final straw now where Ahab will lose his life and he'll die in battle. And he says, so uh, who is willing to be the one to participate to bring this event to pass on the earth? So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. And then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said to him, in what way? And notice verse 21, he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. In other words, this was obviously a demonic spirit, an unclean spirit, a demonic spirit that was there presenting his idea in the presence of the Lord saying, look, this is what I'll do. I'll go out and notice be a lying spirit in the mouth, notice of all his prophets, indicating what? That all of his prophets were false prophets. All those 400 prophets who were saying, go up, you'll prosper. He's saying, look, here's what I saw in heaven. That's because a lying demonic spirit put that deception in their mouths as false prophets to encourage the king to go out to this battle and that he'd be fine. And that's who he's going to listen to because he's stubborn and rebellious and he doesn't want to hear the true prophet of God. And that'll lead to his own demise and to his own death. So he says, this is what I'll do. And this demonic spirit proposes this idea to bring the downfall and judgment of Ahab. And the Lord said, knowing Ahab's condition at this point, you shall persuade him. Because again, he knew Ahab didn't want to hear the truth. And he says, and you'll prevail. So go out and do so. In other words, God gives permission. God grants him allowance to go and do that in his sovereignty. Therefore, look, he says, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours and the Lord has declared disaster against you. In other words, Ahab, what I have seen in the spiritual realm is God has declared your judgment. You are going to die. And because you don't want to know the truth, God has determined that you don't want to know the truth and that you want to rebel. So therefore, he's declared judgment upon you. And the way that judgment's going to come to pass is he's going to allow a unclean, lying, demonic spirit to basically deceive you through these prophets. And again, even warning him before he engages in the battle, but you're going to listen to those lying prophets and you're going to push forward in rebellion in that battle. And that's going to be the way that you lose your life. So if you want to hear the truth, he says, that's the truth. That's the truth. That's what's going on in the realm of the spirit. Now, again, difficult things sometimes to try and wrap our heads around and understand. But like we see in Job chapter one, we do see in Job chapter one that angelic spirits, both holy angels as well as demonic spirits who are fallen angels still have some level of access to the throne of God, to the sovereignty of God. 
We see the devil come and present himself before God, a fallen spirit, a fallen angel. The devil comes and presents himself before God there in the book of Job where that whole account happens. And he starts having dialogue together with God. And so that's what we see in the same way taking place here. And look, God in his sovereignty can permit in his control and sovereign rulership over anything and allow unclean and even evil demonic spirits that are in rebellion to his plans and purposes. He can allow them to do whatever he allows them to do because God still rules over all, is creator of all. And so God can even, if he so chooses, use the evil plans of the devil to ultimately orchestrate something that ends up fulfilling his purposes. And that's what we see happening here. Again, it wasn't God telling these spirits to lie. It says, verse 21, that the evil spirit said, I will go out and be a lying spirit. And God just says, uh, that will work. And then God just grants permission for that unclean spirit to go and perpetuate that deception that would bring the disaster against Ahab because he knew Ahab would listen to it. So verse 23 says, Zedekiah, the son of Chenino, went near when he heard this true prophetic word of the Lord from the vision. He went near and he struck Micaiah on the cheek. He slapped him across the face. And he said, which day did this way did the spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, indeed, you shall see on the day when you go in to an inner chamber and hide. And the king of Israel said, take Micaiah, return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him with the bread of affliction and water of affliction until I return in peace. And Micaiah said one last time, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed, all you people. So Micaiah gives a genuine prophetic revelation. He tells him what he saw in the spiritual dimension as he received this vision from the Lord to give a genuine word from God. And of course, when you tell people the truth, they don't always respond real favorably. So the prophet, remember, who had the horns and the whole, I mean, he was the primary actor in the show when the theatrics going on he walks up and he slaps him right across the face where the spirit of the lord go the spirit of the lord was with me didn't you see my presentation and how persuasive i was with all those hundreds of people and you're just one voice who do you think you are and he slaps him in the face to try and humiliate him there and Micaiah just simply takes the brunt of the punishment and he says well i guess we're gonna have to see what god brings to pass and the king says, go lock that guy up in prison. Get rid of him and feed him with the bread of bread and water of affliction ideas. Make him suffer for what he's done once again further. And Micaiah just says, look, if you ever come back in peace, then I guess we'll see that what I said wasn't from God. But if you don't, I guess it'll be pretty clear that it was from God. And again, this is just a reminder to all of us. Sometimes when we seek to stand up for righteousness and speak the truth, there may be some suffering that goes along with that. There may be some reproach. There may be not only that people may not like us or may not you know, look favorably upon us, they may even to some degree mistreat us, harm us. And we may experience some level of persecution from our friends or people who would mistreat us or even do things to bring harm into our lives because we simply sought to speak what was true and honor the Lord in a situation and Micah Ai is a fitting example of that here he ends up being slapped in the face and embarrassed and shamed and now he's sentenced to prison 
because he spoke God's word faithfully. Well, look what happens, verse 28. So king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king, they then went up to Ramoth Gilead. So after all these things, Ahab still persuasive. Hey, we're still going to battle because that's what the multitude said. So they still go up to Ramoth Gilead and Jehoshaphat follows along. He just follows along and still, again, doesn't have the courage to say no. I mean, it's almost, you know, somewhat shocking to see what happens next. Look at verse 29. And then the king of Israel, Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, here's what we're going to do. Here's the battle plan. Verse 29. I'll disguise myself and go into battle. Now, that should have been a red light right there. Here's what we'll do. Apparently, this prophet is saying that God is going to allow me to die in battle. And that they're going to come after me because I'm the king. So he says, here's what, I'll disguise myself, but you put on your kingly robes. You look like the king. So the king of Israel disguised himself and they went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the captains of the chariots who were with him saying, fight with no one, small or great, but only with the king. So this is typical, right? We're going to go into battle. The king of the Syrians says to his troops, look, when you go in, I only just go after the king. You kill the king. I mean, that's a a sure in victory there. Kill their king and you'll you'll break the backbone of their army. Well, Ahab understands this. So as they're heading into the battle, he actually says to Jehoshaphat, listen, I appreciate you coming along in this battle. I I got one other suggestion. I I really think that this would be a good battle plan. How about you wear robes and look like the king? I'll disguise myself and look like just one of the infantrymen and then we'll go into battle. What do you think about that? And apparently, Joseph Hatt says, okay. That's what I call somebody who has a hard time telling no people. I mean, he actually says yes to it. Well, why wouldn't he say, wait, wait, wait a minute. That doesn't s- disguise yourself. Me look like you and us go into the battle. But he just says yes. But again, lacking discernment, not having courage to be honest with somebody in fourth. Right? He just goes along with the flow here. And again, for whatever reason, he, he allows himself to be kind of duped. He becomes someone who is very easily manipulated. And look, when you can't say no to people, you're going to be someone who is great prey for being manipulated by people. People will take advantage of you. People will manipulate you. And there's nothing spiritual about being manipulated and letting people take advantage of you in an unhealthy way that puts you at risk. So they go into the battle. The captains of the army and the chariots, they saw Jehoshaphat. And there he is. He's got his king robes on. And they said, hey, look, it's the king of Israel. And therefore, they surrounded him to attack. But Jehoshaphat cried out. At this point, he realizes, man, what did I do? This is a bad idea. There's the king. Kill him. And all of a sudden, Jehoshaphat, it's like, you know, you have that epiphany moment when you realize, what in the world did I get myself into? I'm sitting out here in royal robes looking like King Ahab, who everybody wants to kill. And he's hiding among the ranks. So the king of Israel, they say that's the king of Israel, and therefore they surrounded him to attack. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him, and God diverted them from him. So Jehoshaphat has that moment where in humility he realizes, I have got myself into something I should not be involved in. Got myself in a bad place here. And this is called the grace of God because he just simply humbles himself and he just says, God, help. Help, God. 
I got myself into a mess here. <laughs> Get me out of this. Just help. I mean, I don't know what he prayed. It all says that he cried out and the Lord helped him. I don't even know what he cried out. But look, when Peter, remember, started walking on water and he took his eyes off the Lord and he started sinking, Peter didn't have to pray a long, flowery, religious-sounding King James Version, theeth, thoueth, though becometh my greatest helper, Lordeth. He just said, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I am sinking. And here he is. He realizes my life is in jeopardy. I'm about to die. I got myself out on the end of a limb and they are cutting off the branch behind me. What did I get myself into? And he just cries out to the Lord and God helped him. God helped him. And look, I want to say to you, if you find yourself in something you should not have got yourself into, cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. God's merciful. He knows I make dumb decisions sometimes. I'll use myself as an example, maybe not you. He knows sometimes we get involved in things that we shouldn't and we get ourselves in the messes. Tell the Lord, Lord, I'm in a mess here. I'm in a bad spot. And if you don't bail me out, it's not going to be good. And it says God helped. God loves to help. God loves to be merciful and step in and to deliver us. And so God diverted the troops away from him. And then look what happens. Verse 32. For so it was when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel. Again, maybe it's because they knew Ahab never prays. So there's no way that was Ahab. Looks like Ahab, but Ahab doesn't. Ahab's not a man of prayer. And that guy just prayed, God help me. So it says, they turn back from pursuing him. So they turn away from Jehoshaphat now. They realize, oh, that's actually not the king. That was someone else dressed up like King Ahab. But verse 33 and verse 34, look at this. Now a certain man drew a bow at random, the Holy Spirit tells us, and he struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of the battle for I am wounded. And the battle increased that day and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot facing the Syrians until the evening and about the time of sunset, he died. So Ahab thinks he has worked this plan so well uh, and he's got himself all disguised. He just looks like one of the troops. He's out, you know, he's maybe just kind of in a safe zone, but pretending like he's kind of fighting the battle. And he's thinking, I have worked this so well. And there he is propped up in the chariot and he's going to end up getting killed. And not only is this going to be good because I'm going to win the battle, I'm going to get back Ramoth Gilead. But then Jehoshaphat's going to be dead. And because I have this little marital political alliance that I set up, I'm going to have an in and I'm going to schmooze the whole thing. And I'm just going to go back and take over the whole kingdom of Judah and win, win, bang, bang. Look at that. Man, I played God. I played God. Oh, and I worked that situation well. And you know, sometimes, sadly, people actually think kind of like they can outsmart God. Kind of like you could just play God. You know, like a criminal. Maybe they, they're into criminal activity and they, they think they can outsmart the police department and they can play all the, you know, the, the things that we're going to outsmart the police department and we'll just stay on the run and I'll pull this move and that move and disguise this and hide there and do that. And, and they think, I just, well, we, we can outsmart the police department. And some people kind of, that's their view towards God. Well, we can break all God's laws and break all God's rules and rebel against God and do everything and, and I'm just going to outsmart God. 
I'm just going to outsmart God. God's never going to, he may try and deal with me, but it just eventually it'll, it'll work out. I'm smarter than God. And that's what Ahab thinks he's doing. And what does it say happened in verse 32? It says a certain man, the idea is obscure, a, just a certain man, drew, verse 32, a bow at random. You know, this guy had probably been firing arrows all day. And now maybe he's bored. So now maybe just sitting there going, doop, doop. You know, he, just, he just fires a bow. doesn't even say he fires a, an arrow trying to hit somebody. He fires a bow at random. He's a bored soldier that wants to look like he's doing something. So he just fires an arrow at random. The Holy Spirit tells us that. And it struck the king of Israel, not just in his armor, but it went right between the crease of the two joints of his armor. It became a guided missile from God. (laughs) He just fires a random arrow up in the air. But what does this show you? God can take hold of just ordinary events and he can use them to specifically fulfill his purposes. Because he just fires this random arrow and God goes, thank you. I was just waiting for that one arrow. And then like a guided missile, God says, my determination is that if he rebelled me and pushed that far, that that would be the end of his life. And God takes that arrow and he lets it hit right on its mark. It goes right through the crease of his armor and just perfectly right in the spot where it needs to go to give a mortal wound and Ahab ends up losing his life on the battlefield and what happens is the word of the Lord is fulfilled because you can't outrun God you can't play God you can't think somehow you're going to hide from God God will always have his way God will always have his way God's never going to be defeated by a person or what a person does ultimately God is going to deal with those who need to be dealt with whether it's us or whether it's someone else. And that's why sometimes, too, we shouldn't try and, let me put it the other way, play God on people. Well, I'm going to get them with my arrow. I'm going to get them. Oh, they need to be, they need it. I'm going to get them. And God goes, I don't need your arrows. Put your bow down. I can take a random arrow from some certain knucklehead who's just sitting there firing arrows and he doesn't even, this guy didn't even know he killed Ahab. He couldn't even take the credit for it. He just thought he was firing random arrows out into the woods somewhere. And pr- I'm, I'm envisioning, again, he's just bored. Dum, dum, checking his iPhone. Dum, you know, fire, and he's just firing out in the woods. And here's Ahab. Hey, you guys go out there on the battlefield. I'm just going to go over there and hide in the woods. And I'll just check my Twitter account because I'm the king. I don't want to really fight in the battle. I'll just, and here he is over in the woods, all by himself, hiding. Oh, oh, what, what's that all of a sudden? That's called, you can't escape God. You can't escape God. God's in charge. And it's a great reminder to all of us that God will have his way and that we should never think that we can play around and think somehow we're going to just outsmart God in a situation. I beg you, don't think that's going to work. Do not think that somehow you're going to outsmart God and you're just going to get away with something ultimately. God will always bring things to a point and deal with things in our lives. Ahab is a fitting example. God brought his word to pass. And for all the rest of us, we need to at times learn how to be still and know that God is God and let God deal with situations because it's hard for us. 
It's hard for us. Sometimes we want to help God in situations, and here God shows honestly that he really can take even the most ordinary of events and still bring about what he wants to bring about. And we can trust him to do that. God's in control. God's sovereign. We need to let his sovereignty be something that we just rely upon. Let's stand together.